Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. Friday, November 1st, 2019, from Slate, it's the gist, I'm Mike Pesca. Over the weekend, last weekend, I went to Nashville, where I participated in Politicon. There was a giant uh, inflatable baby Trump balloon. That was certainly the draw. There were many a panel, people walking around in MAGA gear, people walking around aggrieved at those in MAGA gear, all manner of young socialists filling the stages and our minds with their much better ideas than any of us older people had ever thought of. So the very last thing I did uh, was late Sunday afternoon. There was a panel called What Now, Democrats? And so I moderated the panel and the following Democrats or Democratic affiliated humans were invited on the panel. There was Kyle Kulinski of the Justice Democrats. There was Jess McIntosh and Zerlina Maxwell, who are former Hillary Clinton campaign staffers. Uh, One's on CNN a lot, the other's on MSNBC a lot, and they co-host a show on the Sirius Progressive Channel. There was Joe Lockhart, who's Bill Clinton's former press secretary. And over on the edge of the stage was James Carville. He was wearing an LSU rugby jersey. He was sitting there, kind of slumped over, looking at me, waiting. Other people had their say. He was just peering at me with a saurine patience and cunning. Now, we had talked beforehand, and he called me over and pulled up the platform of the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, and he went through it, and he just says, what does this mean? What does that mean? And I told him I interviewed the head of the DSA, and she was pretty nonspecific at times. So this guy, James Carville, he came loaded for bear, or tiger, because the LSU Tigers had just won. Now, Kyle, of the Young Turks, he was ready to rip into Carville. His fans were legion at this conference, and they packed the first six rows of the auditorium. And they heckled Carville. They interrupted Carville. You will hear this. It was raucous. I was worried about the people in the, I don't know, 60 rows, 70 rows behind them. It was a huge space. It was, it was really packed. I wanted them to be able to hear. And I want you to be able to hear, too. This is our whole show today. It's a rather long show. I'm sure you could glean that from the time code that you saw in the episode. Now, I'm going to play most of the panel discussion that was had. You will hear me from time to time inject myself from this microphone right here just so you're fully oriented about who's talking and what's going on. All right, right now, what now Democrats from Politicon? (laughs) 
Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Right here to my right, which is not where he is ideologically, is Kyle Kalinske. He's a political, yes. Got, that is, that was a literal standing ovation from seven people, but all in different places, uncoordinated. <laughs> He's a political commentator, the co-founder of Justice Democrats, and the host and producer of The Kyle Kalinske Show on his secular talk channel of the Young Turks Network. Next to him is Jess McIntosh, who worked for the Clinton 2016 campaign as director of communications outreach. Um, and she worked for Emily's List as political director for a long time. Now, when you see Jess, you might say, well, what about her co-host for the Signal Boost podcast on Sirius XM? They, they never travel apart because <laughs> Zelina Maxwell is here. Zelina worked on the Obama campaign and the Hillary Clinton campaign. Another couple of people who worked for other Clinton campaigns are here, too. Next to Zelina is Joe Lockhart, former White House press secretary for President Bill Clinton, a CNN contributor and the co-host of the Words Matter podcast, which is great and I listen to. And James Carville is also here. They say there is no more dangerous animal in the wild than James Carville the day after a big LSU win. We will put that to the test. Lead strategist for the Clinton campaign. Joe, I want to start with you, the voice of uh, experience, and it's this. Throughout my life, I always thought that the way for Democrats to win, which should be the way for everyone to win, but it's not, is to get elected, enact good policies, and get credit for those policies. So it's not that hard. But it seems harder these days than maybe it was in the past. Is that my perception, or, or am I either over or underthinking the way to political success? No, I, I think you may be overthinking it a little bit. I don't, I don't think it's much more complicated than that. Um, you know, we live in a different world. The world has changed since James and I started a while back, a few years back. Um, you know, where you know people have their own uh, social media platforms. The traditional filters of the establishment media are gone. It's just changed things. It's not better or worse. It's just a different challenge. Um, but I, I think the way you win elections is the same. And if you look at the Democratic field right now, what the primaries and the caucuses does is it puts candidates to a test. And you have to pass that test to go on to take on a Republican. And the thing is, the test is different for each candidate. You know, you know Joe Biden has to prove that he, he still has it, you know, in, in his mid to late 70s. Elizabeth Warren has to prove that she can appeal to a different part of the party than is her natural. And every single one of them has a test. It's messy, and when you're in the middle of it, you think it's a disaster. 
and then it ends, and we generally come behind a candidate, and you know, uh, it, it's you know, it's then an open question about you know whether they've been put to the right test. Uh, and at times we we make the mistake of vetting our candidates after the nomination. I am definitely for vetting them before the nomination to find out if there's someone who doesn't have what it takes to win. Well, that's interesting. I have a background in psychometrics, which is a fancy word for testing. And there are two main things that you want to test to do. One is reliability and one is replicability. To be reliable means the thing you're testing for has to be the qualities that you want. So I'm not always sure as I watch the democratic debates and the exact nature of the infighting that those are the exact things we should be arguing about. Jess, what do you think? Yeah, no, I know. I, I often think that we're arguing about the wrong things when I'm watching the, uh, the presidential contest. I think what's important to remember now is the, the replicability part of the testing equation. We can't look to what's happened before to determine what is going to happen this year. We are living in a completely different electorate. We have seen voter, I mean, you guys know, our voter participation in America is not great. We, you know, we, we max out in a presidential year at 55%, happened in 2008. We have seen, since the election of Donald Trump, 10-point jump in midterm elections. We have seen special legislative elections that had 70% turnout. This is literally unprecedented, and it can't be overstated, the impact that it's going to have on 2020. We don't know what the country looks like if 70% of us turn out to vote. We've never seen it. And there are a lot more of us than there are of them. So if we all show up and make our voices heard, it really changes things. Okay. So, here's a deep tension that I always hear debated. What you need is a candidate that's exciting and often that's, that's said as a candidate for who's pretty far left. You need a candidate to get people out to the polls. But if it's true that we're getting 70% or we're getting a record-setting number of people in the midterms, do you really need the super-duper exciting candidate? Or is Trump so exciting, just nominate someone sensible and plausible? Kyle, you've given your life to this question. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think that there's a little bit of a false dichotomy here because I'm of the belief that if you fight on policy and policy that polls overwhelmingly well, well then you're not, there's no like, okay, am I going to get the centrist? Am I going to get the moderates? Or am I going to get my base? You could actually bring in everybody. You could bring in new voters. You could bring in independents. You could uh, bring in right-leaning people. You could turn out your base. You just have to make sure that you're hammering away on a strong populist anti-establishment message. For example, an issue like the minimum wage, 80% of voters want to raise the minimum wage. So that's one where I don't know why we wouldn't talk about that day in and day out. I mean, make them, make the Republicans argue the opposite, put them in that position where they have to argue the, the opposite position. Also, you know, legalizing marijuana, 62% of the country wants to do that. And I can sit here and ring off like eight different policies, but I won't put you through that. But the bottom line is, I think there's a little bit of a false dichotomy because if we stick to the bread and butter issues and we hammer home, I think the tides will turn in our direction. Well, the fall, okay, but the false dichotomy, yes, you're right. Those are two issues, and a wealth tax is also enormously popular. So that's not what the candidates will be debating about. They'll be debating about their differences, and they differ on the Medicare question. And that's where you have one set of opinions, and maybe James Carville has another set of opinions, and he wants the debate to go a different way. You tell me, James. 
Well, look, I, I think I've, I've listened to this and everybody says, you know, it's, about, it's all about exciting your base. It's all about getting the base out. And so every time you go on television, well, it's all about the base, Jack. If they get their people out or we get our people out. And so the Democrats had a terribly disappointing 2016. The people like got together and said, hey, I got a great idea. Let's go around the country and recruit really talented, diverse a, a, a lot of women, a lot of, a lot of different people that all have real backgrounds, CIA agents, business people, military people, and let's talk about things that matter to people. And so, well, we're talking about the minimum wage. We're talking about how you expand health care. We're talking about this. Holy shit, it's the highest turnout since women were granted the right to vote, and it's the biggest margin that we ever won by. And the day after... We're talking about some silly, I don't know, letting people in prison vote or, or, or something like that. It's just insane. Go back to what worked. What worked is getting talented, experienced, committed, diverse people and run on things that matter to people. And quit all this malarkey. Of, don't get me started on it. <laughs> Can I ask what, this is Kyle Kulinski with a question directly to Carvel. Can I ask what, what other issues would you not want them to run on? Uh, free health care for people who are not here legally when we got 40% of the country is, is one disease away from bankruptcy. I would like to not run on that. I'd like to not run on, on the Boston terrorists voting from jail. I could start with that. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can run on. But we know the formula. We know what works. We just had a real-time experiment. And if you want to shuttle that and go somewhere else, then okay, I just disagree with that profoundly. Okay, but it's a C- are they running on letting the Boston bombing terrorist in jail? Right. What happened was it's a CNN it's a CNN town hall. Someone asked this question out of left field, yeah, you know, and maybe yeah, Kamala you know says, yeah. we're not. When the people he killed come back and vote, then he'll vote. Until then, he's not going to vote. Okay, so that's that's a good answer. Kamala Harris didn't give it. What then? I I mean, you guys are political consultants. Is the answer, don't put forward a candidate who would possibly not say what you just said, or just talk about other things afterwards? If you run for president, you have to have some political skill. I'm sorry. There's not too much to ask of a presidential campaign to pivot from a question like that to a real answer. And if... There is one moral imperative in 2020, one. It is not health insurance for everybody. It is not the minimum wage. It is not anything. The moral imperative in 2020 is to beat Donald Trump. That's the only thing that matters. So, the only thing. James, would you, would you say, I know you said no uh, health care for undocumented immigrants, but what about all American citizens? Wouldn't you support health care for all American citizens? I, 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 I do not in any way, shape, or form want to ban private insurance. I do not in any way, shape, or form that tell 140 million people you don't have your, your health insurance anymore. I am totally for a public option. I'm totally for people having access. We, we couldn't get the public op- option through when we had big majorities of both the House and the Senate, I would be glad to take it up. I think Medicare for all is a stone-ass loser. Well, go ahead. This is Jess McIntosh. We have to play by a different set of rules than Republicans do. Every operative up here knows that. 
everybody in the media really knows that too. There is no chance that reporters would hold Republicans' feet to the fire on their health care proposals, killing people right. with the same temerity that they go after our possibility of raising taxes. Those two things happen in completely different... I mean, we're hearing from the media from the very beginning that there is a choice between choosing somebody whose policies excite us and choosing somebody who can beat Donald Trump. That's not a choice. I believe that someone whose policies excite the majority of people is the person who can yes, beat Donald Trump. Yes, yes, yes. But we yes. have been set up from the very beginning that this is the this is the conversation in the Democratic Party, and it's only the conversation in the Democratic Party when we get on stages like this. Yeah, and I just want to say real quick, Kyle Kolinsky. You know, politics is really not that difficult. Where is everybody and go to where they are if you're a politician and when you look at a Medicare for all poll and it says 70% are in favor of it and even 52% of Republicans are in favor of it. It's really a political no-brainer in the direction of fight for it. So I know I know that wasn't always the case. I know that wasn't always the case and you know James you're a brilliant guy and you get deserve all the credit in the world for getting Bill Clinton elected and everything you've done um, but I would say that you know politics isn't stagnant it evolves over time and we're in a populist anti-establishment era and we have 58% of the country wants free college 70% want Medicare for all you know when you talk about abolishing student debt that's like the easiest idea in the world to sell to the American people. Who is going to defend $1.4 trillion in student loan debt when other developed countries have free college? Anyone who paid off their own debt? student loan forgiveness is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay? Because you don't... Let me explain. How many people's parents save for their education? How much did you pay for college? How many people worked within college? So we're going to go tell everybody, you fool. You stupid fool, your parents didn't take a vacation and save money for you, and you worked through college. I'm, why don't you just shut up and let me finish? Let me tell you what's going on right here. Carvel is being heckled pretty badly because the audience is not miked. It might sound like Carvel is overreacting to a few people saying some quiet things, but I can attest to the fact that there were scores of Kyle Kalinske supporters who were pretty much screaming their heads off. It was hard to ignore from the stage. You will actually hear Kyle try to calm them down in a second. Get a drink. Let him talk. Let him talk. If you want to go teach for America, or you want to work in the Peace Corps, or you want to be in the Marine Corps, or you want to pick up on the litter patrol, or anything like that, fine. We can do it. We can talk about a lot of reduction. But this is just one of these idiotic things that sounds good until you start, you stop and you start thinking about it. I think as Democrats, we should talk more about what we're for than what we're uh, against. Right. I agree. I totally agree. I paid off my student loans a month ago. And I would certainly, at 38, and I would certainly not begrudge anybody else not having to go through what I did to get here. That's like telling somebody it's not fair to vaccinate because other people in the 18th century died before we got the vaccine together. So I don't love that argument. Go ahead, Joe. Well, in 2018, this was about finding moderate candidates because the playing field was in 40 swing districts, and we found them, and it was successful. So going into 2020, we have to look for who can, who can win. And I'm not, I'm not arguing that someone on the left can't win. Mm-hmm. I think we don't, we don't know. And the, the test they're going through now is, can they marry their ideas and excite people 
with do they have the political skill to take on Donald Trump? And we're going to find that out in the primaries. And that's, we shouldn't be disagreeing uh, on those things. But we've got to be honest, which is, you know, I, with all due respect, saying that 70% of Americans believe in Medicare for all is not true. That's a poll. Hold on. It's Let me poll. tell you the poll. And, and, I, and I'll tell you the poll, which is every poll that goes into the details of, well, how do you support it if you re realize you have to give up your private insurance? The numbers go into the 30s. And what that, happens when they say you can keep your doctor? What happens when they say you can keep your doctor? It goes back up okay, over 50%. Kyle. Hey, let's, talk, let's stay on the talking numbers. In, we won 40 seats. They were in swing districts. In the primaries in those 40 seats, the candidates endorsed by Justice for Democrats in those seats overwhelmingly That's not lost. even the name of the group. Okay, what is it? Justice Democrats, not okay. Justice oh, for so, Democrats. Sorry, okay. Sorry about the name, but the numbers are right. Your candidates lost in the primaries. They did. Okay, no, that's well, the fact. No, 41% of them actually won, and it wasn't just I'm one. Talking, no, no, yeah. in swing districts, in swing districts that we won. Name, name five candidates of yours in swing districts that won or not. Do you know how many Democratic Congress? Socialists won in this last election? It's a simple question. 42. Yeah, but you didn't are answer you gonna, his you question. Kyle, you, you changed the, the terms question. of the debate right. twice. What's on. the question? I'm more than happy to answer any Just question. Just to answer the how, question, name, how many Justice name me, Democrats? Name me five Democrats again, who won in swing districts. Again, again who are we had, we ran the play in 2018. We scored a 70-yard touchdown. Let's get back in the huddle and talk about running the same play. Exactly. As opposed to some, I don't know, triple, double, reverse. You know, we, yeah, we won in the Bronx. We won in Boston. You know, you know what percent of the United States elects 52 senators? I do. 18. 18% of the country elects 52 senators. You can roll up all the votes you want with all your pals in New York City and Los Angeles and San Francisco. Not going to do you any good. Not going to do you any good. And until somebody understands math, all right, then we're just beating ourselves against the wall. We can be for progressive taxation. We can be for expanding health care. How do you, you have the Green New Deal. It doesn't even mention engineering. I live in Louisiana. The water was against the levee for 211 days. More water is coming. We need engineering. And somebody in this party better start talking about nuclear and what we can do about that. Because this climate crap is as real as a heartbeat. And we can have... But we're not going to be out there fantasizing somewhere. Talk, talk hard about diplomacy. Talk hard about a carbon tax. Talk hard about engineering. Talk hard about alternative energy. But keep it focused there. But just look at, do the math in the country. And this, this, this idea that we win primaries in, in central Boston or, or the Chicago is just, that's not how we're going we're gonna, to we're win this election by being a majoritarian party and acting like one, which we did in 2018. Uh, I also want to point out um, one thing about math that we forget sometimes as Democrats, which is that the demographics in the United States are changing. Um, all of the census data and Pew research shows that by 2045, America is going to be a non a majority non-white country, meaning that people of color are going to be in the majority, and that is going to directly impact not just the policies that are put forward, but the politicians that we elect. That's why the 40 net seats that we got in the House in 2018, it was so many women of color, right? When you see the photo of all of the newly elected Democrats, they look like me. Good. And the people that voted for them also look like me. And in 2045, the majority of the country will look like me. 
So I think that going forward as Democrats, we, can, we will be smarter and much more strategic if we look forward just as much as we look backwards um, to what worked because what works in the future is not going to be exactly the same. Yes, Zerlina, but I have to say that I sense that in the 2016 election, the truth, what you said is true, the truth about our changing demographics was taken as a current reality about the electorate of 2016. Not even just among the Democrats. Reince Priebus, with his autopsy, was <laughs> emphasizing we have to do outreach to Hispanic and uh, Latino voters. And it turns out that by running a playbook of turning the Republicans into explicitly a white Christian party was an electoral winner. That is only half true. That's half correct. You have half the answer right. The other half of the answer is that voter suppression impacted the ability of black voters okay. in Wisconsin specifically but voting. The, this is called there the future. More, there were more votes suppressed in Wisconsin than the margin of victory for Trump. So to say that the demographic shift yeah. wasn't already beginning and leaving out the fact that they were le making it basically impossible for people who look like me to vote right. is not an accurate uh, analysis of well, what transpired. It's only talk, half the story. But since we're talking about winning in 2020, I don't think you're assuring me that this will be the election without voter suppression. I'm, I'm not so saying, once we I'm not price saying in that there will be voter suppression, suppression. But I think it's important that we can't have a conversation only about policy and skip over voter suppression and then look backwards and blame the campaigns and blame the candidates for not saying things when we weren't talking about voter suppression. You can run a perfect campaign and if they cheat, you're not going to win. Governor Stacey Abrams would tell you the and same. And Stacey Abrams would say the same thing if she was sitting in the seat. Joe and I are pointing out 2018 is being the right thing. As you point out, when you look, there were any number of, of women, women of color, of every diversity. It seems to me the Democrats did a pretty good job in 2018 bringing women into the party, helping them, electing them, women of every background. Why don't we just continue to do that. And by the way, on Hillary Clinton's thing, I will tell you this. It's a good point. What's the relationship of Jill Stein and the Russians? What are they booing? I think. I, 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 why was she at the table the with Vladimir Putin and General Flynn? Maybe she just wanted to do some sightseeing. Do you think? Or like Bernie, she wanted to just be part of the Soviet Union. Do you blame Jill Stein for the loss? Well, she got more votes. I don't know if I blame her, but I certainly know this. She got more votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin than Trump won by. And I wouldn't want to be around anybody that had anything to do with Vladimir Putin. I think he's one of the most horrific people in the world. And why that woman was sitting at that table, I'd give anything to know. You probably know her, so you can find out. <laughs> First of all, I don't know her, but it says a lot that you would assume that I know her, and you assume that I, there's some sort of nefarious, uh, you know, backroom conspiracy. I, I, I but do. second of all, I agree with what you said about electing more women and women of color, and it just so happens to be the case that every Justice Democrat who got elected in the last election was a woman of color. So, I'd like, I, what I don't understand is, why is it that our, our victories, the left's victories, they just don't count for a variety it's of reasons. It's weird that you just, but yet you ignored the issue of gender impacting electoral outcomes. No, I mean, I you can't think, say, like, not look at all at these all. women of color who won. You know, they won despite the gender dynamic that you just dismissed. No, I didn't dismiss yes, it. Yes, you did. No, no, no. I, here, let me make it crystal clear. Does, gen, does gender matter? Yeah, I no. She was checking her head. 
Does gender matter? The answer is yes. Why? Could that oh still God. have been overcome if We're Hillary campaigned this, like, in the Rust Belt on the right oh, Guys, hold on. Yeah, I, I need to be second. the moderator, so let me moderate. Yeah. But just one fact. Yeah. Is Ro Kahana a Justice Democrat? Yes. So he's new, not a woman of no, color. No, no. Every ahead, newly Joe. elected yeah. Justice Democrat. Right. Every the newly squad. elected Justice Democrat. Hold on. The newly elected Justice Democrats were the four members of the squad, and that's it. Am I right about that? Yes, but there's 13. I just want to let the audience know the facts that we're talking about. The four members of the squad is who he's talking about. Go ahead, Joe. So let's have the argument that will actually help us win. I agree that there's, there, there's a, something that's gone on in heavily Democratic districts. We have, we have uh, the squad now because establishment middle-aged white candidates in safe seats were thrown out of office, and good for it. I mean, but that tells you something about what happens in urban Democratic heavily areas. It does, is not a predictor for what happens when you go to the whole country for, uh, for uh, who's going to go elect the president. If, if you want to talk about false choices, though, the, the one that bothers me is that somehow if you take, if you are a moderate, you, are, you can't be bold. And let's, let's take the women in the race. Amy Klobuchar has just as much of a right to get up on the stage and, and, and put her position. It's not cool to laugh about a woman running for president, even if it's not your candidate. Yeah. That's not cool. Yeah. It's not cool. I, but, but, Don't no. laugh at a woman running for president. That's all I'm saying. Just have respect for a woman who is running for president. So you should know that Zerlina Maxwell is a woman of color and also context in an earlier panel, she got into a, let's say a debate with some audience member who showed up dressed as George Washington. In case you were wondering the demographic makeup of the Kyle Kulinski fans, they were mostly white and mostly male, but far from uniformly white and male. And the come on guys admonition you're about to hear me say is me turning from the panel to the crowd. That's what I'm talking to. Guys, 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 the, the, I love coming here the, to get booed by men this, who say they don't have a problem with sexism. Yeah. It's really, really fun. It's really fun. What if, what if Sarah Palin ran? We can make fun of her, right? Come say it to my fucking... Guys, <laughs> really, seriously, what? let's have a little respect for the panelists. I, Go ahead, Joe. I, no, the, the, the point is that just because you are in the middle of the party or the left, the, ch- the, the challenge is how do you excite voters, all voters? And if, and if Amy Klobuchar can figure out how to do that, I hope she's the nominee. If Elizabeth Warren can figure out how to do that, I hope she's the nominee. And if Andrew Yang can figure out how to do that, I hope he's the nominee. Hey, there we go, we got a couple. That's what this is about. It is not a, a litmus test. We lose when we, we force our candidates through a litmus test that the Republicans uh, don't do. We saw that in the last election. And this is about, this is about winning. It's, you know, again, you, I respect people in the middle. I respect people on the far left. And I, I applaud their passion. My job when I used to do this was to find the candidate and help them win. Yeah. And that's what it's about. Yeah. It's, I don't consider myself a moderate. I consider myself a liberal. But I'm not a leftist. Okay. I, I believe that, that that's what I am. I, I don't have any problem with, with the term liberal. I, but, and, and people get called what they want to, but this is not, we're not like having some kind of O-line debate here. The, 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 and the people that we ran, and I love that picture just like you do. I used to have it, I'm, you know, I was going to put it on my wallpaper on my, cell, on my cell phone. I think it's great. And I just think, when you're on to something and it's working, 
You stay on it and don't get off of it. And it seems to me we're just completely losing the lesson of 2018. Totally. I, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. And that's why I think it's awesome that when there's ballot initiatives that pop up in all the different states, it's like overwhelmingly the case that the left position wins on the ballot initiative. So I think what that says is the power of our ideas is actually really strong and our ideas are better than their ideas and we put them directly on the ballot, people come out and vote but The for problem it. is 40 times you were on the ballot in these swing districts and 39 times you came up short. And so look, if I, if I work for Mitch Landros, the mayor of New Orleans, and, and a Democrat gets elected mayor of New Orleans, does that make me a political genius? Well, no, there's no possible way a Democrat could ever lose running for mayor of, of New Orleans. So if I, if I went around and, and said, well, gee, look, just look, look what a, what a freaking political genius I am. We run a race we couldn't lose. Or we could lose to another Democrat. You're not going to lose the Bronx. I don't care what you do. It's a plus 40 Democratic district. You don't get credit for that. But you go, you go to AOC to, 10 to 1. You, you go to Oklahoma City, or you go to the west side of Houston, or you go to the north side of Dallas, or you go to Charleston, South Carolina, and you win a race, then I'm impressed. Jess McIntosh. I don't think any, anybody is saying that one Democrat should run the same race in the Bronx that they would run in Oklahoma City. And I think the idea that we all need to have one message that every candidate runs on, and if we can't all decide and everybody here is happy with it, we're doomed to failure. If you remember, the lead up to 2018 was all, where is Democrats messaging? They don't have their messaging. They don't know what they're talking about. All of their candidates are talking about individual things, and no one's running on this, and there's no umbrella. They all won. They all won because they ran their own races. It was the biggest, most diverse field of candidates ever, and they won because they tailored their races to their districts. When we saw like Danica Rome win in Virginia, she did not run to be the first trans woman elected. She ran on potholes. <laughs> And she won, and now she's the first trans woman elected. Like, we can run the most progressive person we can in the districts where we know we can't lose, and that shifts the window. The same way that they have been shifting the window farther and farther to the right until Nazis don't look that weird. We need people in blue seats that are going to move the window to the left. I don't want to start with the public option this time. That's where we started last time. And if we start with it this time, we'll get Obamacare, which we already have. Yeah. I want to start with Medicare for all. And yes. If we don't get there, then we don't get there. But we'll get more than we got last time. I think that we're not picking a health care plan and we're not picking a set of policies. That is not how people vote. People vote on someone that they trust. They vote on a leadership style they like. They vote on someone who they want to hang out with as much as I hate that. They do. They vote on somebody who is going to negotiate, starting point negotiate these things with the right priorities in mind. And that's what I want to see our candidates continue to put out there. I don't care that much about the minutia. I care that they're going to walk into the room as someone I can trust. And I would say that everybody on the stage, on the Democratic side this time, in good faith, I trust them, right? Even if I disagree on, you know, some specific policy nuance that they may have, I think that all of these candidates would be better than Donald Trump. And to Jess's point, that is what matters. And I think that, you know, this has gotten way too heated for the fact that we are all all on the same side, supposedly, and, right? And, uh, um, trying to defeat Donald Trump and, and make uh, the world just a little bit safer for, for everyone. Look, let, let me just say, I'm 75, so I'm, I'm all for you in 2045, kid. You go, okay? <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time, and I'll, I'll let y'all in on a little secret. 
the other side gets to play. While we having this conversation, well, that's all right, be for that, and if you don't get it, you'll get something else. Guess what? They're going to have calculators. They're going to do the math. They're going to decide. We just don't get to run the general election among ourselves. All right. And, and as long as you act like they don't have any money, or they, they're not ruthless, or they're not going to do all this, we can just have this great intellectual discussion about everything. That discussion will hit the general election. And we got to, as we have these debates in the party, we got to remember if we don't get a big year and the Senate with it, nothing, none is going to happen. If Mitch McConnell stays majority leader, you're not going to have Medicare for nothing. Okay, it's, it, 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 the only imperative you have is to win this election. What are the chances you think the Democrats take the Senate? It should be pretty good. Really? I, I think, I think uh, yeah, we're ahead right now in North Carolina. North Carolina is the new Virginia, all right? We're ahead in North Carolina. We're ahead in Arizona. We're ahead in Colorado. We tied in Iowa. We're ahead in Maine. We are in striking distance in Georgia, striking distance in Texas, all right? We got a shot in Alabama outside, but we got a shot, all right? And let's see what happens you know, it's not impossible. Let's see what happens with, with Andy Bashir, But we might be able to get a good candidate. We're going to try like hell with Mitch McConnell because if you're, not, if you're not against Mitch McConnell, then you're not a, you're not a, you're not a Democratic Party. All right? So I, the, the Senate map is actually pretty good. I mean, Montana, you know, kind of a long shot. But, you know, we're probably going to – we could easily pick up five, six, seven Senate seats. But we got to do it by having a conversation with other people as opposed to just ourselves. Okay, then tell me what happens with a 52-48 Democratic Senate, which, by the way, I'm not buying, but let's say it happens, but no change in the filibuster rule. They're then what change, happens to Democratic change policy? They're going to change the filibuster rule. Hmm? They're going to change the filibuster rule. Oh. Okay, that, that's, that's going to happen. But then what they're not going to change is how we elect senators, and you're not going to change the Electoral College. But the filibuster rule, that's done. If they get in power, if they will do that. I, will be, I think that's a very good idea. Another thing I think is a good idea that, that, that I, like, I like the idea of baby bonds. Baby bonds is one of the best ideas I've heard in a long time. Cory Booker's idea. Yeah, Eric it, was a, it was an economist. economist. Yeah. But that's something that I think is a, is a, is a really good idea. And, and I've developed this theory in life, and that is the solution for a lack of money is money. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that, that helped a lot. You have a similar housing plan. Yeah, if you, if, you, if you don't have a house, the shelter will help you. If you're thirsty, the solution, water. Yeah. So last time around, 8.6, there were 8.6 million by estimates, uh, Obama to Trump voters. So you know what this means. They voted for Obama in 2012, Trump in 2016. There were maybe 3 million that went the other way. You know, Romney to uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, there is a big debate among Democratic circles. How much do you actually try to appeal to these people versus A, they're unreachable, or B, you got your numbers wrong, or C, just put out Mr. or Miss Exciting and then it'll take care of itself. Well, what about that? What about strategy specifically for this demographic group? How important is it? I, I, listen, I think the, if you look at the numbers, I mean, remember, and we all agree that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by 3 million votes and 70,000 votes Fake in three states um, uh, uh, separated Hillary from the White House. Yeah. So it is, it, 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 we shouldn't get obsessed 
with getting those eight million people to move. I think the reality is what we should get, what we should focus on is one of the reasons Hillary lost, in my, in my view, was that a lot of people thought it was over and she was going to win and they stayed home. Couple that with suppression, which happened, I, I have no doubt. So what we have to do is make sure that everybody in the party is pushing in the same direction. Whether we pick the guy in the middle or the woman in the middle or the guy or the woman all the way on the left, that we are moving all in the same direction, that we address the concerns of the losers openly and, and accommodate them in whatever way we can so we don't have the, the sort of lingering bad feelings going into the general election. And then, you know, the fact of the matter is there are way more people who associate themselves with progressive democratic thinking than with conservative, homophobic, white nationalist, Republican thinking. So we just have to go out and make the case and get out of our own way. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing of not getting caught up again. I'm going to repeat myself. We're going to have the argument over which Democratic Party runs the country in 2021. But let's win the election first. And then let's be at each other's throats on, what do you mean public option? No, no, we got to have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is my last question because we do have to go. Kyle, you and your folks have provided so much of the energy in, if not the party, then Politicon, but also the party. Do you vow that whoever of the seven highest ranking Democrats right now in the polls, whoever gets the nomination you'll vote for and advise your people to vote for in the general? Well, first of all, everybody who follows me is independent-minded, so whatever I do, it's not necessarily right. going to reflect what they do, okay? But what would you do? You're just Kyle. I would have no problem voting for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Right, but what about all the other ones that I asked? They're going to have to come get my vote. I'm not handing my vote over to them. Now listen, listen. That doesn't mean I'm not going to vote for them. If I have a conversation with, let's say for argument's sake, even though it's not going to happen, Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete gets it. I know, right? And so, and so if, I, if I talk to them and they say, hey man, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm work, gonna to work with you and do everything I can on raising the minimum wage to a living wage. I'm going to work with you on issues X, Y, and Z. You know what? A deal's a deal. We don't get everything we want in politics, but sure, then no problem. Yeah. But I do find it curious that, of course, you asked me that question, but others aren't asked, hey, what if Bernie Sanders wins? Would you support Bernie Sanders? Yes, yes. I can't be any clearer. As soon as we have a nominee, I'm going to send him a max check. Okay? I don't care. There Good. is one, one moral okay. imperative. It's not agreeing with me on everything. It's beating Trump. And if that's the person we got to Thank beat you. Trump, then that's who we're going to go with. But, but they don't have to. They don't have to. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just, you, could, you could put a button on this whole discussion. No, yeah. no, no listen. I, I, this, this is the problem, which is, you know, we've got this purity test that people who, you know, might vote for a candidate that I might support, they're, they're not really progressive, so we can't vote for them. But when the question gets turned to, will you vote for the person on the ballot, the only person on the ballot who has a chance of defeating Donald Trump in 2020, the answer is, oh, you got to come get my vote. I'm sorry, I'll vote for Bernie Sanders, I'll vote for Andrew Yang, I'll vote for Amy Klobuchar. I don't know about Tulsi Gabbard, but I'll vote for any- See? That's my point. <laughs> we all have standards, it's okay to have standards, okay, so- Okay, so you, you think there's two acceptable candidates right. on-, on I didn't say that. You said I'll vote for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, everybody else, I'm not sure. I just said if I talk to them and they- come no, to my position on certain positions, then yes. But you just said you wouldn't vote for Tulsi, so you're I in the know, same boat no, as I me. Said, you I just have different standards. 
I didn't say I wouldn't vote for her. I said I'm not sure. Yeah, you said, and I'm saying the same thing. Okay. Right. There we go. So we're the same. We just have different standards. No big deal. Yeah, nobody has to talk to me. I'm for the Democrat. Yes. You don't have to call me. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. I'm just automatically for you because well, I'm automatically get him out now. I think we might get him out before the election, but let's see. Well, it does strike me as odd and curious that this panel on what is the future of the Democratic Party ended with a hypothetical of what if Tulsi Gabbard is the nominee. <laughs> okay, we we'll just leave that there. <laughs> Democrats, how about them, right? Can't live with them. <laughs> We're all going to die without them. James Carville, Joe Lockhart, Zelina Maxwell, Jess McIntosh, and Kyle Kalinske, and thank you all very much. <laughs>